0: I was the logical choice. The oldest of a big family, my leadership skills were honed at an early age. Responsibility is really all I ever knew. People had told me that I was going to be a leader of leaders. I believed them. I thought that this was my destiny. It certainly was my aspiration. And so that morning when Samuel came to our house under the guise of let's offer a sacrifice... Yeah, I, thought, I thought, oh my, my, my ship had come in. This is what it was about. Let me, let me back up a little bit. Many years earlier, our nation received our, our first king. He was handpicked by God. His name was Saul. And Saul was everything you would think of when you think of a king. He was tall. He was handsome. He had this, this mane of black wavy hair that did this thing in the sunlight. Very important if you're a king. You know, the profile could be on a coin one day. You know, it's a very, very important Now, Saul was a little bit radical and and rash sometimes. Very decisive, though. I, I think his kingship, though, went to his head because on at least two occasions, he straight up denied the command of God Almighty. And when Samuel confronted him about this, he made excuses, but he did not repent. And so Samuel told him God was going to impeach him impeach the king this is hot news i mean this will travel fast on the israeli grapevine and so we all knew that samuel would be looking for another king and so when he made an appointment to come to our house to offer a sacrifice i thought this was it this was it. This was, so what we were supposed to do is, is us boys, there were, there were eight of us, we would walk before Samuel and we would introduce ourselves. And so I made sure I had my best robe on and that I had my bow strung across my shoulder. And as I it was perfect, because as I walked in, a gentle breeze caught my hair, caught my robe. I was going to make sure that Samuel saw my best trait, my, my profile, you know, that, that coin thing. That was, and I could tell that I had impressed him. A smile came across his face. A gentle nod. His hand started reaching for his horn of anointing oil. Oil that's reserved for kings alone. And why not? Because I, Eliab, was the oldest. I was the most responsible. I was the most experienced. I was the tallest. I was the most handsome of the lot. Certainly, I was the logical choice. But it's as if somebody snuck up behind Samuel and whispered in his ear because his hand, going for the oil, just kind of froze. Then it relaxed and the smile dissipated from his face. And he looked at me and he said, Next. I said, wait, 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 wait. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, wait. Wait, wait, mean Next. He said, next. So my next brother came up. But when he was done, he heard the same dreaded word. Next. Well, after the sixth had gone, still with no smile on Samuel's face, Samuel looking around to say next again, but there was no next. And we were all quite confused, not the least Samuel, and he asked us, do you have no other brothers? And my father said, none. Oh, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah, there, there is that junior high ADD type, non-leader, reflective, artsy sort of, he's watching the sheep. And Samuel said, well, go get him. So one of us boys had to go get David and drag him in. And as soon as David walked in, a smile came back to Samuel's face. He made David get on his knees. He, he took his horn of oil, reserved only for kings. He, he broke it. He poured it over my younger brother's head right there. And the only explanation he would give us is that sometimes man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. What does that mean? God looks at that. What kind of heart? What's wrong with my heart? I had a heart. I love Jehovah. What's the problem? They said that David had a heart after God. Again, what does that mean? What's it mean to have a heart after God? Well, it wasn't long after this that David took a part-time position in the palace. You know, he was one of Saul's many junior armor bearers and also played in Saul's band he was one of Saul's musicians his escorts part time he would go back and forth to the sheep to the palace to the sheep to the palace and our family knew that God was preparing David for the palace and when I would think of it it would make my blood curdle that heart thing what was wrong with my heart what did it mean to have a heart after God I couldn't understand this but then one day, something happened that, that answered my questions. Now, I have to tell you, back then, it wasn't a safe time. We were at war all the, the time. Our number one nemesis were the Philistines. And there were border clashes with the Philistines constantly. We fared fairly well with them, which was a miracle in itself because the Philistines had the power to smelt iron and we did not. So their arsenals were in a little bit better shape than ours. Well, one day the Philistines invaded our land deeply. I mean this was not a border clash. This was a declaration of war. And so myself and my two older my two next two brothers, we, we we joined Uncle Saul's army. And we 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 met up with the Philistines at, at the, the valley of Elah and you should have seen it. It was it was so exciting. He had thousands of, of Israelis on one mountain. On the next, there were thousands of Philistines, the valley of Elah, in between. It's where we would where we would fight. And we went into this very confident. Oh, see, see, God Almighty gave our father Abraham this land. This was our land. God gave it to us. The Philistines had no right here. Plus, the last few times we had met the Philistines in battle, we routed them. And so we assumed this was just going to be a little bit more of the same. And so that morning we were making sure our armor was on tight, that our weapons were in the right place, that, that we had our briefing, our mission that, that morning, strategy session, and we were lined up for war and we were getting ready to rush down the mountain, giving the war cry. When we noticed in the, the Philistine ranks there was some movement and the Philistine front lines separated like, like, like the Red Sea and out walked. He was, uh, they said he was Goliath That was his name. Goliath, lest you think I'm exaggerating, Goliath was nine and a half feet tall. Uh, Goliath, he was, he was wider than four of our men. His armor alone weighed 125 pounds. We had gentlemen in our ranks that didn't weigh 125 pounds it was soaking wet. He, he had these, these iron greaves between his knees and his ankles so you couldn't take his, his legs out, and that was about the only place we could get him since his, his knees came to most of our guy's waists. He, he had this huge sword strapped to his side and a javelin on his back and a spear. The head of the spear weighed 15 pounds. That's about the, the weight of an Olympic shot put. His went, and he had a, a shield bearer who... Was to stay several yards in front of him, carrying this enormous, enormous shield, looked like a a picnic table on end. And we were watching this, and Goliath started walking down the hill, and we were frozen. And he stopped and he looked up at us, shaggy head, daunting Philistine war helmet, scratchy voice. And he proposed a challenge. He said, We need not all fight. I am the representative of the Philistines. Send out the representative of the armies of the God of Israel. He he was mocking us. And whoever wins, his side wins. Well, right there, I was very glad that Saul was our king. Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was our champion. Certainly Saul would charge out to Goliath's challenge but Saul was not feeling well that day and, and did not think it expedient thing to do and, and and now you need to know something else about Goliath. Goliath it said was from the town of Gath. Now I know that means nothing to you. But being from Gath struck fear in our hearts. Many years earlier when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt they they, they came to the border of Canaan And the spies went in, and the spies came out, and they said, we can't take the land because of the giants. These were Goliath's ancestors. The fear of the Goliaths kept our people from inheriting the land, seeing God's hand move. Well, 40 years later, when Israel finally went into the land, the only person who had the courage to ask for the piece of land where the giants dwelt was Caleb. He he wanted Gath. And even Caleb wasn't able to route all of them. And as we stood there that day facing Goliath, we knew that our our forefathers forfeited God's blessing because of the fear of the Goliaths, and we were doing the same thing. And I I know what you're thinking. Before you start judging me, okay? I, I know you've got Goliaths in your lives as well. Oh, they may not be as physically daunting as mine, but still they control what you say. The fear terrorizes your heart. They control what you do. Need we go any further with that one? Well, every day was the same thing. We would have a meeting trying to get consensus on what our next step was. We didn't come to consensus. We would try to have a a pep rally and and get some uh, excitement up there. We would line up for battle. uh, And lo and behold, Goliath would come out. And he would come down and he would he would taunt us, he would give his challenge, and we would retreat and the challenge would be unheeded and, and Goliath would go back day after day after day. Now now Saul still was not feeling better. I don't flew or whatever he had, it just lingered. He thought we needed an incentive plan to find a volunteer who would go fight Goliath. And so he said, whoever goes to fight Goliath and wins, Saul would give the hand of his daughter in marriage. It's not a small thing to be the, the son, uh, son-in-law of a, of a king. He would give incredible riches, and his family would be exempt from paying taxes. Now, here's where the problem was for me. See, I was getting ready to volunteer. I was going to take... I was. I was. I, really, I was, but, but, see, I, I had a sweetheart back home. And, well, and it wasn't really a sweetheart. It was more like a friend. It was my friend's younger sister but she could be a sweetheart one day and besides if I didn't pay taxes I would feel downright unpatriotic and so I wasn't sure what to do and we were struggling with this when David showed up we were supposedly at war with the Philistines and so my father worried about his son sent David with some food and to see what was going on and David came among the ranks and was distributing the food and then Goliath came out and all of our attention, and David's too, turned to Goliath and he came down and he taunted the, the armies of Israel and he mocked us. And David looked at Goliath and he looked at us. And he looked at Goliath and he looked at us. And I knew what he was thinking. And so I rebuked him publicly. I said, listen, Squeak, time to get back to those few sheep. And, and I'm sure one of them may get a cocker and it's full, full, and you're going to need your honor to get it out. I know you're just here to, to ridicule men who are laying it on the line and your, your, your goal is to see carnage. Well, there'll be no show for you today, so get. Well, he did the same thing with my words like he usually did when I spoke thus. He ignored them. And he talked to the men around him and he was asking about who this guy was and about the king's incentive plan. And, well, word travels quick. And Saul brought him into his tent. Now, just to, to show you how little David knew, he didn't understand Protocol. He's in Saul's tent. And before the king could say a word, David said, I'll go fight him. And Saul said, oh, don't you understand, little boy, that this man has been making orphans of people your age for decades. This Goliath has been making widows of people like your mother for decades. He's an experienced fighter. You're a little boy. And David said, one time Jehovah used me to deliver a sheep from the paw of a lion and from the paw of a bear and today he will use me to deliver Israel from the paw of this Philistine I'm not so sure that Saul bought it but he didn't have a whole lot of, of choice no one else was volunteering and time was running out and his sickness was getting better and so he said okay okay he tried to dress David up in his armor and uh, David looked somewhat ridiculous. I was such a big man, and David was so little. Uh, David excused himself and started off down the hill right away towards the Philistine camp. You know, with every step he looked a little less like a child and a little more like a man. He stopped at the creek below. He picked up five stones and put them in his shepherd's purse. Now, I think the Philistines were just as surprised as we were. When they looked at David, he wasn't even carrying a white flag. Who is this? Uh, Here's the the grand champion of the world. Plus, and we were sending out to him a junior high kid with a slingshot. (laughs) Oh, no, we're going to get them so angry at at us. Well, uh, Goliath was led out by his shield bearer. And when Goliath could get a good look, it was coming out at him. Oh, he was furious. Oh, you should have heard the trash talking. Goliath was spitting and swearing and, and claiming victory by the name of his God and promising David all kinds of hurt. And then David, in his junior eye, scratchy voice, said, Oh, yeah, you come out to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come out to you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God whose armies you have defied. I said, No, no, David, no, no, shush, don't, don't, don't say that. Don't, say, don't, say, don't, he said, today God will give you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. i no, oh, no, 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 not the head thing. And he says, and God today will give me the, the armies of the Philistines and I will give them to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field so that all the world may know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here today will know that God doesn't save by spear or sword but by his mighty hand for the battle is the Lord's. And I thought, oh, we are so dead we are now, I don't think Goliath's mom even spoke to him like that before. And Goliath was just shaking. He was, he was so angry. Well, he took off towards David. Now, the Philistines don't have bows and arrows, so they have to fight hand to hand. So he has to get relatively close. And his running after David did create some issues for his man holding the picnic table. But, but, he, but David didn't hesitate. David put a stone in his sling and David took off. And then David at the right time put on the brakes and Goliath raised his spear and David planted his right foot and Goliath took aim and David gave his sling a couple of swings and then released. And every eye, both camps was on the two people below. And Saul was watching from his tent and both Jehovah God and Baal were being bombarded by prayers and nobody was breathing except the guy with the picnic table. He's pretty much hyperventilating at this point. And then then it hits. And Goliath's eyes roll back. And he drops his spear and his knees buckle and he falls on his face. And David runs to the giant and grabs the giant's sword and, and cuts off the giant's head. And then David lifts it in the sky. You know, that picture will forever be etched in my mind. Uh-uh. The man with the picnic table realized that his services were no longer needed at this point and joined his comrades running down the other side of the hill. The, the Israeli army suddenly got great confidence and routed the Philistines. But as I stood watching that day, the pieces came together. I realized what was so special about David. All of us have claimed a commitment to Jehovah God. All of us have claimed that. But a commitment to Jehovah God is tested in the valley of Elah. And that day, the only one whose commitment passed the test was, was David. Uh, leadership is not about size. and it's, it's, it's not about birth order. It's not about charisma or even skills or education. It's about having a heart after God. Because if your heart is after God, you will have the ability to make your commitment shine even in the face of Goliath. All right. What in the world does the story of David and Goliath have to do with the bema seat? Mark, we're talking about the bema seat for crying out loud, the end times thing. What are you doing with this? Well, if, if you remember, two weeks ago, if you were here, we met Daniel James Mathison. Remember, this? this is Daniel Mat- Mathison uh, accepted Christ when he was a young at a young age. Kind of blew Christ off for the rest of his life. Went to work one day. Jesus came back, and he found himself in heaven. And he was told about the bema seat of Christ. Second Corinthians five nine and ten. Paul says that that we desire we live our lives in order to please the Lord. And then he says this: Why? Because for. We must all appear before the judgment seat. That's the bema seat of Christ. That everyone may receive what is done in his body according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. The same. Find the same sort of thing in First Corinthians three. We find the same sort of thing in Romans fourteen. Some of the parables of Jesus. Sermon on the Mount. Times of reward. And, and Daniel Matheson had never heard this before. As he as he sat watching at the bema seat, he watched other people have their judgments. And then the next week, which was last week, it was time for his judgment, right? And so we watched his judgment. As so he watched his life and reviewed his life, he realized all the missed opportunities, all the times he didn't build for the kingdom, that he didn't live for that day, but for the day he was in. And he kept saying, remember this? If I could just go back, if I could just go back and do it over again. Then at the end of last week, uh, we re- he woke up, right? His alarm went off. And he realized it was a dream. It was just a dream. So he went downstairs and, and, and he, he read scripture, he made a commitment, dedicating his life to live for that day and not today. Last week, many of us stood and made the same dedication, rededicated our life or dedicated it for the first time. Now here's my, my question, I wonder. What happened to Daniel Matheson the rest of that day? I'm assuming he had to go to work. And we know what his work was like. Now, he, he had a family. He had responsibilities, right? He, he couldn't just leave. I mean, could he? I guess maybe. He, he had a lifestyle that he needed to support in some sort of, of way. What did he do with the rest of that, that day? It's one thing to make, be dedicated, to dedicate your life when things are looking great, right? But things are going to come. It's going to come after you. The story of, of David and Goliath. Four observations real quick. First observation is your commitment will be tested. It will be tested. This was just a normal day for David. Probably wasn't expecting anything, just running errands for his dad. Finds himself in the valley of Elah facing Goliath. You know, the cool thing about this story is no one expected David to fight Goliath. Matter of fact, they all spoke against it. His brothers tried to kick him out, ridicule them. I'm guessing that the rest of the soldiers kind of did the same thing. Saul, after he volunteered, first time around, Saul said, No, David could have sat down and said, You know what? I tried. But David had stood up. David had dedicated his life to live for that day instead of today, for God's kingdom, anyway, instead of his his own. His His commitment got in the way. David had stood up. David had promised God, You know what, God, I'm living for your kingdom and not my own. His love for God got in the way. David had stood up. David's belief in God, David's trust in God's promises, his love for God got in the way. And he would rather die than watch God be defamed. Your faith, uh, it's going, your commitment, your dedication will be tested. It just will be. It will be. Don't be surprised when it comes. Hell is too sharp for that. Uh, Second thing we need to know, Uh, your commitment may cost you. It may cost you. Now, David was not a stupid person. He wasn't old enough to be in the army. Uh, but this was his culture. He saw guys go off to war and not come back. Uh, their, their fighting was not as sterile as ours can be today with the push of a button. And we're just going to send some tomahawks over. None of our guys are in danger. Um, they didn't have that luxury. It was all hand to hand. Lots of casualties. Life was cheap on the battlefield. And this was his culture. He knew this. Uh, I don't know, the scripture, scripture does not say on this, right? I don't know if when he started going down and getting a little bit closer to Goliath, if he started trying to rethink this plan, you know, this looked, sounded great back there when I was among the people, but he's standing right now in front of Goliath going, whoa, I, I don't know. I might be getting a little bit nervous. Anyway, that's just, maybe just me, but but nervous or not, fear or not, that's, that's he was driven by his dedication to God, not by his fear uh, that's what made the, the difference. I love this this text, uh, Hebrews chapter 11. It's kind of like the, the, they call it the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. Now we're not going to go through the whole chapter, beginning in verse 32. He says, and what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, it's probably Daniel in the lion's den, right? Quenched the fury of the flames, it's Meshach, Shadrach, and the Bendigo probably, and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. And then look at this. Others were tortured and refused to be released. This is not health, wealth, and prosperity stuff, right? So that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all, this is a cool part, don't forget this part, these were all commended for their faith. When we go after the Goliath, we got to know, we got to know that the only promise, the only promise is not that you're going to walk out of there scat-free and there's going to be no scars. The only promise is that you will be commended for your faith. Sometimes there's a cost. There's a a huge cost. Third thing, though, this this is so important, that your commitment has to be tested. I mean, it has to be tested. There's really, it's, it, commitments can be cheap, right? Words can be cheap. Stand up, sitting down, writing a letter, I'm signing a card. Oh, that can be cheap. It has to be tested. Look at 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. Look at this. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, that's what trials do, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You know, I tell my, my older kids, um, tell my, talking to my, my, my daughter uh, recently, she's 20 she's uh, not seen anybody, by the way, in case anyone's interested. But anyway, I, I tell her, she, she won't listen to this, so I'm okay. I, I tell her, I said, when you look for... A guy. It's so important that you... And again, I don't want to get in trouble with, with on this, one, so please hear my heart when I say this. Not necessarily someone who's just started living for Jesus in the past couple of months. I don't doubt they're firing... But someone who's lived for him for a long time. If you find a, a, a gray head... And this is why I think Scripture says that the gray head is to be honored. there's not every person who's got gray hair, for sure, because some gray hairs sit down along the way. But if you can find a gray hair who is dedicated to living for that day instead of today, and they did this however many years ago, 34, and they are still there today, they are still living for that day instead of today, you got to know, if you only knew what they've been through, you you would feel very honored to be in their presence. They have been through the desert. They have felt the depression they have doubted there have been those wrestling matches just them and God they've been in the valley of Selah several times because God's going to make sure that you get there that's what purifies that's what grows your faith has to be tested so when you got that appointment you didn't want it no one's going to be asking for it I'm not signing up for it but you I find out you're in the valley of Selah there's Goliath nobody else may be around nobody else may even know that you're facing the Goliath Nobody would expect you even to do anything about it because this thing is so big and everyone else is. But you know, I've stood up. I'm living for that day and not today. So you know what? Not charging into battle is not even an option. If I get killed, I get killed. If I perish, I perish. Uh, But I'm not going to, to renege on my dedication to him. I'm not going to let him be defamed while I'm around on my my watch. Uh, fourth observation. If you fall, maybe better better way, better way to say this is if and when you fall, get up immediately. I mean, it's it's like the Peter thing, right? He gets out of the boat and he's walking on the water. He's looking, As long as he's looking at Jesus, he's fine. But all of a sudden, he starts looking at the waves and the wind. And, whoa, what am I doing out here? And now he starts to sink. There are times when we're living for that day and we're living for that day and that's great. And then we get our eyes off of it and we're living for today. For whatever reason, this is all we can see. And we get scared and we fall. We just, We do. When that happens... Scripture is all over this. God's a God of of, of grace. He doesn't beat us up, but he tells us what we need to do. We need to confess. We need to repent. We need to make restitution where we need to. And then we need to get up and take the Goliath on. Sometimes hell's greatest tactic is for us to be down and we just stay down. I'm not even getting up again because you know what? I can't live this life. And I'm not worthy to live. And I can't do it, and I've I've tried, and I'm just a failure, and I'm just a this and I'm just a this and I just a can't. And Satan is behind you whispering all this junk in your ear, and and, and and hell is rejoicing. Because it's not about you, you're right, you are a loser. Me too. But he's not. And it's not in my strength or yours. It's David nailed it. It's in the strength of the Lord God, it's in his name that I come. And we can. And so when we fall, we have to get up immediately, immediately. Don't pout, don't stay down, get up immediately. Are you in the valley of Sila? Are you facing a Goliath now? Some of us uh, can't imagine here that they're not. I just want to encourage you, you know, your your commitment is going to be tested. It's it's going to be tested. It will. If it's sunny, shining today, that's great. Take advantage of that and grow close to him because it's going to be tested. And, and But when it, it comes, it may cost you. Please know, don't take from the story of David that everything that we do it right, we're just going to get out on top. That's not that's not, that's not. church history. It's not scripture. Uh, the, the third thing that you need to, to know is your faith has to be. I mean, it's a divine appointment from God to grow you. Can you imagine, can you imagine David when he's holding that head of that giant? Can you imagine how much his faith must have grown? How to see, to understand who God is, what it means to stand for him. He uses those things to grow us. And then when we fall, and I hope it's not often, but when we do, we get up immediately, come to him. And when we do between now and that day, when we get to that day, and our life is relived, and those valley of Elah situations are, they show up, and Goliaths are right there between us and Jesus. He'll look at you, he'll look at me and say, Well done. Well done. Ah, oh, well that would be so great. I said, That's why we that's why we're living for.